Today's podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and the Extraordinary Give, Friday, November 19th. Hear more at the conclusion of the podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. He said to both elders and deacons, it's your job to go and seek out the needs of this of the people in this parish. And that had a huge impact. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you today? I'm doing well. And this interview, Jonathan, today is a first for me because... You were once my boss uh, in Pennsylvania, and so was our guest before you. Oh, uh, wow. And so I am should have uh, compared uh, notes. Uh, I, we, you should have because I'm I'm here with the bosses uh, in my past, and so it'll just be <laughs> such a it's a real joy though. Great, great uh, memories for me. Yeah, it is a joy to welcome Sandy Finlayson. He is library director and professor of theological bibliography at Westminster Theological Seminary. And he is the author of a book entitled Chief Scottish Man, The Life and Ministry of Thomas Chalmers. Sandy, thanks for joining us today. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. And it's really nice to see both of you. I do want to catch up later on uh, any stories you might have about James as an employee. But for now, we're here to talk about Chalmers. So, Chalmers, the, the title of your book is Chief Scottish Man. That is, um, that's quite a billing for one individual. Can, can you describe to our listeners a little bit of what makes Chalmers such an extraordinary figure for his day and even, even for any day? Yeah, Chal- Chalmers was someone who started out life as uh, a, a member of a fairly prosperous family. He was born in 1780. Um, His father uh, was the owner of um, a local thread and dye works. Uh, He grew up in a pious Christian home. His parents were devout and taught their children the Bible and the shorter catechism. Thomas's father had a large library of devotional books which uh, Thomas and his siblings were very much encouraged to read. In his early life, though, he did not display much interest in in reading them. He's educated at the local school, uh, then goes off to St. Andrews University uh, at the remarkably young age of 11, which even by the standards of his day was pretty young. He was not a spectacular student, uh, regretting later in life uh, that he hadn't worked harder, which is probably true of some of us as well. Certainly, it's yeah. Most of us, most of us are not redeeming ourselves well. (laughs) He began uh, divinity studies, um, and that not particularly because of desire for the Christian ministry. But because in the late 18th, early 19th century, being a minister was a uh, position that gave you status in life, he becomes he becomes involved in um, pastoral studies, 
becomes a minister and is ordained in 1803. And it's important to note here that at the time of his ordination, he is not a born-again believer. Um, And so for the first few years of his pastoral ministry, he actually spends most of his time trying to get a university appointment uh, teaching mathematics, which was his real passion. Then the Lord um, really intervenes in his life in 1810 and 11, following a prolonged illness, he is converted, comes to faith. And uh, not surprisingly, that has a real impact on, on his ministry. Gets really involved in the life of his rural parish. Uh, if you look at his sermons from that period, there's a dramatic change in his sermons from being sort of moralistic lectures to actually evangelical sermons. Um, in 1815, he moves to a crowded parish in the industrialized city of Glasgow and just re- becomes really distressed by the poverty in Glasgow. Um, he becomes convinced that the main cause of urban deprivation was breakdown of community. And so he seeks to restore uh, the traditional parish system in Glasgow. Um, By way of background, Glasgow was broken down into a series of parishes where there were uh, churches uh, in each of those areas that were supposed to care for the needs of the community. Right. But there weren't enough parishes to really do the work. So he seeks to revitalize the parish system in the city. He serves two different parishes in Glasgow between 1815 and 1823. The second one was an entirely new parish that uh, Chalmers was largely instrumental in creating. So what kinds of things can I stop you there just for a second, Sandy, because yeah. his his uh, record it, it, within these parishes is, is extraordinary. He diagnoses the problem as ultimately being uh, spiritual in nature, uh, but but he is tremendously uh, not just busy, but effective in, in his work. And, and there's real transformation under his ministry. I mean, his parish ministry is marked by strong evangelical preaching, but there was more than that because there's deep concern for the large numbers of the urban poor who are living there. He's responsible for organizing uh, schools for them that um, focused on the basic tenets of Christianity, but also taught math and English so that to increase the literacy rates. The other thing that I think really characterized his parish work was his mobilization of officers in the church, elders and deacons. He does an enormous amount of work uh, training both elders and deacons to go out into the parishes. Um, It was one of those situations where he said to both elders and deacons, it's your job to go and seek out the needs of this of the people in this parish. And that had a huge impact on people's lives, just an enormous impact. Um, just to briefly finish off his biography, so he has two urban parishes in Glasgow. 
Then he goes, he takes a turn in his, in his career and basically goes into academia, goes to St. Andrews University. He's at St. Andrews from 1823 to 1828, where he's essentially teaching moral philosophy and theology. And during this period, he becomes known as the leader of the evangelical party in the Church of Scotland. Um, Scotland had an established church, which was essentially divided into two groups. This is oversimplifying it a little, but there were a group of people in the church who were essentially there for social standing, um, who wanted to keep society orderly by ensuring that people went to church, but there wasn't a lot of evangelical piety. Um, so there's growing tensions in the church between the group that were known as the moderates and the evangelicals. Chalmers becomes known as the leader of the evangelical party in the Church of Scotland. And eventually that party ends up leaving the Church of Scotland in 1843 to form the Free Church of Scotland. Um, there were a number of complicated issues that went into that. Um, it had to do with how parishes were, select, were selecting ministers, um, but there was also a real sense in, among the evangelicals that the church had lost its way and wasn't reaching out with the good news of the gospel. And so Chalmers leads that group out of the Church of Scotland, forms the Free Church, and basically continues leading that group, preaching, teaching, and then he dies at the remarkably young age of uh, 67 in 1847. That's a very, very brief thumbnail uh, sketch of his life. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more that could be said. I frankly, in reading, in writing, researching and writing this book, don't know where he got his energy from. I know John, Jonathan's going to want to ask perhaps about the disruption uh, in 43. I wonder if we could dial back a little bit before that, sure. uh, just to his work in parish ministry and relief yeah. of the poor, because it's not, it's probably not what most people nowadays are thinking where you have a, a you know, a, a food pantry for poor who may happen yeah. upon your church. There's a whole, uh, it seems like there's a whole economic theory uh, and maybe this, um, maybe I speculate a bit uh, that he's drawing on his background in mathematics uh, as well, uh, his passion that he never was able to pursue uh, in an academic yep. post. But he's yep. he's bringing that to bear. There's some there does seem to be a sense of he understands not just how to relieve the poor, but how to improve their lives um, going mm -hmm. forward. So there's a certain sense of making them uh, self-sufficient in a way. How, I wonder if you could comment on how he sees this as connected to his work as a parish minister who, as you say, isn't just uh, a moralist, but who preaches yeah. the evangel. How does he see yeah. that preaching of the evangel and this kind of thick and almost scientific approach to uh, addressing the needs of the poor in his parish? Right. Well, I mean, he passionately believes that the whole person mattered. Hmm. Um, that, yes, it was the church's primary task to preach the gospel, but, for, but caring for physical needs was 
also part of the gospel mandate. That, that was at the heart of what he did. Um, now, for much of his life, he argued that the church needed to be well-funded to do these acts of mercy. And that funding would come from a couple of different sources because parish councils distributed poor relief through the churches and then individual congregations would also contribute to poor relief. Um, so he, you can read examples in his sermons where he's appealing to what were largely middle-class congregations to show their, show their love for the Lord by helping people around them in tangible ways. So he basically is saying to folks, look, we've got these, this incredible poverty just outside the door of our church. It's up to us to go to those people, help them, provide for them, and educate them. So that, that's one aspect of it. Um, it's, there is a later shift in his thinking. Um, he talks about Scotland as a godly commonwealth, by which he means that the church is supposed to provide, provide guidance to the nation by preaching the gospel and teaching the moral law of God. And he believes that through the parish system that that can actually change the society, primarily through the preaching of the gospel. But as later in his life, toward the end of his life, some of the social conditions in Scotland got dramatically worse. And there were widespread famines in 1845 and 1846, and they placed even greater strain on local parishes to provide poor relief. And Chalmers was actually instrumental in raising more than 15,000 pounds from the free church for famine relief. And that was a lot of money in those days. Then by 1847, um, Chalmers actually comes to the recognition that the church can't do it by itself. And he actually writes, a, writes an article where he says that it is part of the role of government to work with the church to help alleviate poverty in the country. Not to say the church shouldn't do it, but that the church can't do it on its own. And so he actually sees the church and the state should be cooperating in this area of poor relief. Sandy, one of the things that strikes me about that, and, and as always sort of puzzled me in a way is he's very much invested in the parish system. He's very much invested, as you just said, in the church working together with the state to alleviate um, material needs and to alleviate poverty wh wherever possible. And he has all kinds of ways of doing that and, and, and uh, ways of addressing it. But when, when push comes to shove, he does leave the, the Church of Scotland and in a sense, he, he disassociates or disentangles himself from that whole established church system for, for a lot of reasons, as you said, theologically. 
that had to do with leadership and, and, and governance. And, and so th- this, is, this is one of the peculiar things, it seems, about Chalmers. He, he's very invested in that established church, but then he does leave the established church. When the chips are down, he sides with gospel freedom, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if it, it, how, how does that fit in your analysis of, of him? Well, there's a couple of things here. Well, yes, he led the evangelicals out of the established church. He never, um, he never abandoned the so-called establishment principle, which says mm-hmm. that the church and state should be working cooperatively together for the good of society. Um, his reasons primarily for leaving the established church was because the state was interfering in the uh, affairs of the church in terms of church discipline and church practice. So right. after the so-called disruption in 1843, he's very careful to say, yes, I'm, I've led this group out of the established church, but I'm not abandoning the principle, which he, to the very end of his life, believed was a biblical principle. So now you you can argue perhaps that he was being inconsistent, but in his own mind, what he was doing in 1843 was leading a group out of what he saw as a flawed national church. He wasn't abandoning the principle. Right. Okay. So he he still maintains those convictions. He just thought that the state had overstepped. That is correct. The, the the precipitating reason for the for the uh, uh, they're they're leaving now um sandy we're we're running out of time but i wanted to get to one more uh matter related to chalmers chalmers has a huge influence on other prominent men in the free church of scotland in particular mm-hmm. um obviously he had a significant influence in the parishes where he served but but there are some key figures who come just after him who were trained under him um, who looked to him really throughout their ministries as this leading figure uh, in, in in their lives, this almost mentor in their lives. Yeah, I mean, he through through his work at the University of Saint Andrews, uh, even before the disruption, he was hugely influential in sending a whole generation of missionaries out into various parts of the world. Uh, one person that comes to mind is Alexander Duff, who was very instrumental in setting up um, missions and schools in, in India. Um, Chalmers was firmly convinced in the importance of missionary work in the church and was really responsible for that. The other thing that I think is important about Chalmers is that one of his real focuses was the belief that the church could and should speak to all kinds of issues in life. There wasn't anything that the church didn't have, shouldn't have an opinion on. So if you look at his sermons, he talks about all kinds of different things in his sermons. Um, He also says that the church has a right obligation to speak into political issues. Um, He's not afraid to, for example, get involved in discussions around whether 
Roman Catholics should have the vote. So he was involved in the whole Roman Catholic emancipation movement in the 19th century. Um, so in, from that perspective, um, he was hugely influential, largely because he believed that all truth was God's truth, and so the church should talk about it. Endlessly fascinating figure in so yeah. many ways. And yeah. Sandy, I, I can't thank you enough, not just for uh, appearing here with us today, but also for your work in, in, in this book. I, we would commend it to our listeners. It's not uh, particularly long and it's very accessible. It's very clearly written and it lays out uh, some of the broad outlines of this uh, of this chief Scottish man. So, Sandy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Jonathan, uh, Chalmers is too much for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, such a, an immense mind and, and complicated and intriguing person. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on as much, though we kind of hinted at at the end, is that sometimes there seem to be these, these inconsistent uh, poles in Chalmers that are hard to reconcile. And I think in Sandy's book, he deals with those faithfully. He doesn't sort of gloss over the fact that he's a complicated man who doesn't always uh, do things well, but he's so instrumental uh, in so many good things that happened uh, that he commands our attention. But maybe you could say something about that. Right. So Sandy brings out the fact that he, uh, it, it, and he's very upfront about the fact that, that Chalmers didn't handle personal conflict very well. He didn't handle criticism especially well. There were, there are possibly, depending on how you understand these things, inconsistencies, even in his convictions. And, and frankly, you might just find yourself disagreeing with his convictions, but he is such a, a great figure in so many ways and such a challenge to us in so many ways. He was, he was unafraid at looking at problems with clarity and trying to take them on with all of his energy and with all the capacity and opportunity that the Lord granted to him. And you see this even in his even in his stand where his deeper convictions perhaps prevail at the disruption, where he leaves the established church, um, all the while uh, desiring some kind of co close collaboration between the church and the state, but clearly not at any cost whatsoever. That's right. That's right. Some of the arguments against the state being involved in the, in the church, and I, I'm I'm not in in favor of that myself. But some of the arguments against that are purely pragmatic arguments. And, and Chalmers would agree with those. Yes, if the state's going to get involved in our discipline or choose our pastors, then of course we can't be involved. But in principle, he did believe in uh, an established church and, and a close collaboration between the church and, and, a, and, a, and a, an essentially Christian government. Yeah, and that's not a. Um, I think it'd be easier for the modern reader to say that he's in favor of socialism or something like this because he wants the government involved in the relief of the poor. But he he hasn't. He has a. We couldn't get into it now, but he has interesting theories about um, voluntary taxation, for instance, uh, where where you're going to appeal to the goodwill of people generally uh, to make a contribution to come alongside the church. And he was hopeful of the of the promise of that. Which I don't know. In our context, if you said. Voluntary taxation. Well, you know, do I even do I even have to guess what choice you're going to right, make? Right, right. It sounds good <laughs> so, to me. Uh, you know, yeah, he, he's it's just a fascinating mind. You're you're engaging with someone who has 
uh, it just it was a fascinating thinker on any number of levels and a, and, a, and a godly example in so many ways and challenge to us. Well, I think Sandy has written uh, maybe one of the best and most accessible introductions yeah. to Chalmers. Uh, and it doesn't just have to be for those interested in Scottish Presbyterian history. Um, he is a he's a fascinating figure just at socially. Yes, but just as a Christian trying to negotiate his responsibilities with the gospel, with his broader, more comprehensive responsibilities as a, a man in society. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I hope our listeners will, um, will, will get a copy of the book. And if you'd like the chance to win a copy of the book, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. There'll be a place there for you to enter your information, and you can win a copy of Chief Scottish Man by Sandy Finlayson. Uh, we love hearing from our listeners. So if you have topic suggestions or book suggestions for us, please pass those along. If you know anyone who might benefit from this podcast, please uh, pass along the information to them. If you're on Apple Podcasts, rate and review ours, and that helps us get the word out. And if you're in a position to give financially, you can do that at alliancenut.org or placefortruth.org. And as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. On Friday, November 19th, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is participating in the Lancaster County, PA Community Foundation's Extraordinary Give. For 24 hours only, all gifts received through extragive.org will be stretched by the Foundation's sponsors. It's a great way to support the ministry and have a little extra added to your gift. When you support the Alliance, you make a global impact, sharing the gospel as you encourage and equip the church around the world through reformed events, publishing, broadcasts, and podcasts. Now more than ever, people everywhere need the hope found in the life-changing message of the gospel, and your support makes it all happen. Through the years, listeners like you have helped make the extra give a success, and the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals has grown with your support. Please prayerfully consider making a special gift on November 19th. Visit AllianceNet.org slash extra give for more information. That's AllianceNet.org slash extra give.